Yeah, okay, you're going to have to give me a minute, and my producer will love this because I didn't give him one of these moments last time. My dog has gotten a post-it note, so I will be right back. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, go for it. <laughs> Bella, why? Why? Oh, come on. No, 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 no. Uh, any other post-it notes? No, okay. All right. <sighs> All right. That's hilarious. I'm going to have to tweet something about that, I feel like. Welcome to an ACC podcast. I'm Lauren Brownlow. And this week, I'm super excited to be joined uh, by Kelly Gramlich. She is an ACC network analyst breaking down women's hoops for them. And she also is a co-host of Out of Bounds on the Roar in the Greenville area. She is um, my first non-Grace Rayner Clemson guest that I've had on this podcast. (laughs) Um, But look, it's no offense to Grace. Grace is in the midst of football season right now. And I'm going to talk to Kelly a little bit about football too, but um, I also want to get some of her thoughts on on basketball because it's a big potential weekend for for Clemson. uh, so we'll we'll break down the. W- Why do you laugh, Lauren? Why do you laugh? <laughs> it's it's an it's an it's a weird nervous laughter, like for both. It teams, is yeah for both teams. Weirdly, is that is that like weird to say that it's weird, like nervous for nervous energy for both teams? It's actually I feel like I'm going to be in that arena on Saturday, and I feel like I'm going to feel weirdly uncomfortable for both of them. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I 1000% agree. I think that's a totally fair assessment. Uh, North Carolina definitely has more to lose, but it does feel like for Clemson, hey, if you're not going to do it this year, when is it going to happen? So nervous laughter on all fronts. Yeah, because like, look, this year is not this year's bad for North Carolina. It's not going to get much prettier regardless of what happens on Saturday. However, it's a it's it's a thing where like they have a great recruiting class coming in next year. Like this is a blip. Um at least in terms of the Roy Williams era. Now, what comes after Roy? Who knows? What comes after for Clemson? Who knows? Right, like down the road. But this is right. this is a one year like like Kelly's saying. This is a one year blip. So like this is Clemson. This is your window, y'all. Like this is your time. <laughs> it is time. You got to do it. And and it's really kind of frustrating for for Clemson people, right? Because the last two teams that Brownells had have been two of the better teams that Clemson's had really ever since the really in Brownells uh, tenure here. Two years ago, the Sweet 16 team, which actually beat North Carolina in Clemson, but uh, haven't beaten North Carolina in Chapel Hill, you know, since ever. So it's kind of frustrating that this team is the team that has the chance. Whereas if they still had the Marquise Reeds and Shelton Mitchells, you'd feel a lot better about it. But it just so happens that it's this year's team. So every Clemson fan is just kind of like, oh, man. Yeah. And it's just it's yeah. And, And it's weird because like the streak is crazy to me on several levels. Right. One, because like they've played in the same league for so long. So it's not as if they barely play each other and like, oh, well, this team's never won in Chapel Hill. Well, so have a lot of teams never won in Chapel Hill, but this is the only team. You know, even Pittsburgh get well. Pittsburgh broke its own streak. It was like zero for seven or something like that, and they got their first streak. Clemson's like zero for sixty something. Like that's that's a crazy streak. And I know there's a big disparity between the programs historically. We understand all of that, but like, still, that's still just the, you would think one year they'd be able to capture some sort of magic. Um, now, to be fair, this is kind of the year of streaks ending when you think about it. Like, yes. I was I was convinced last after last year's Virginia Virginia Tech football game that like that streak 
would never end because of the way that game played out. Like I was like, there's this cosmic force in the universe that's preventing Virginia from winning this football game. And that was proven to be false this year. <laughs> um, and I don't think, I, I mean, I don't know about you. I didn't go into that game thinking Virginia was going to win based on the way those two teams have been playing. Like I was like, oh, there we go. Sorry, Virginia, another year to the streak. And they ended up finding a way to win. So who knows, right? Like crazier things have happened, but there have been moments in the streak where I have felt like there is a cosmic force in the universe that's working against Clemson um, whenever they've been like remotely close. What was that? They had a game a few years ago, right? Where like they were making Clemson was just like draining every single three pointer imaginable, but, but yeah, <laughs> but didn't matter. It was, there was some crazy number in that game that Clemson made like, 16 straight field goals or something and still lost in Chapel Hill. <laughs> that was a couple of years ago, but I like what you're saying about this year being the end of streaks. Um, you know, you bring up Virginia, Virginia tech last night, Baylor beat UConn the oh, women yeah. up in stores, which was UConn's first loss in like 98 non-conference games at home. So that was a crazy streak that came to an end. Um, Notre Dame lost their first ACC game at home on the women's side. So you're seeing a lot of crazy streaks. Duke with their, the Duke men, oh, yeah. with their non-conference winning record at home. This could be the year, Lauren. I, I feel like this is just the year. Streaks end. Streaks are meant to end in this weird 2019-2020 athletic year. Uh, and so as you see, I'm going to continue to talk myself into this throughout this podcast. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out which game that was, too, because I know I, I was it two years ago, maybe in Chapel Hill, where like Clemson made 11 threes twice. Yes. Yeah. And Clemson won in, in, in Clemson. But yes, yes. Clemson made 11 threes in most games where Clemson makes 11 threes. You go Clemson won that basketball game. Nope. <laughs> because Carolina <laughs> made 15. Team. Yes. That was a good team, you know, and I was at that game in, in Little John, uh, which was a great game. Joel Berry played really well and Clemson was great. It was just a really fun basketball game. Uh, so, yeah, it, there's been so many different times where you think, OK, this is going to happen. I think it was maybe 03 or 04 when you had that double overtime game. That was just crazy. Uh, and Clemson didn't they couldn't even beat North Carolina in the Matt Doherty years. So <laughs> it's it's just been a crazy streak. Here's the wildest part of that um, to me as well. Like, where is it? I got to find it. Yeah. No, not only did Clemson not beat Carolina that year, either time that they played, Carolina had eight wins. <laughs> a quarter of them were against Clemson in 2002. But they also oh, they also won. And I, this is going to be a little personal anecdote for me. They also won the, the, the like this was Jason Capel's senior night. I still remember this because I was a, like a kid and I went to this game. I was in, I was a freshman in college at North Carolina and I my parents got like these courtside seats and I'm like, OK, whatever, I guess I'll go. And I'm like so let down <laughs> that my first semester, like my first year in college, I've grown up watching Carolina basketball and this is what I am getting. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is, <laughs> and I, um, so not fair. I, I, Jason Capel did something and I don't remember what it was. And I said something to him. Like, I, like, I'm used to just saying something from the comfort of my home. It wasn't <laughs> like, I didn't curse at him or anything. I don't even remember what I said to him. And he turned in, and this was like his senior night game. And he's been through this awful season. And he turned and glared at me. And I was never the same after that. Like, never. Oh. And I was like, I felt like such a jerk. I was such a jerk, right? And I was just like, I never did anything like that um, to a team that I followed ever again. Like, I was just like, okay, right. He's a person and he's been through this brutal season of basketball. 
And, and he's getting heckled by some like rando, you know, like privileged white girl, like from courtside, who's like his age or younger than him. And he's probably just looking at me like, what is your problem? Like, and I just felt I could have, I felt like a, like a tiny, like, oh, so I never did anything like that again. Like, because I was just like, right, duh, he's a person. Um, but yeah, they won that game though by almost 20. Like, that's how bad oh, wow. it is. They won both mm. games by double digits. Like, they lost to, Bi- they, didn't they lose to Binghamton that year? No, they lost to Hampton. Excuse me. They beat, oh, no. They beat Binghamton by one. Pardon me. Yes, correct that, Lauren, please. <laughs> so, didn't mean to, uh, didn't mean to, uh, yeah, uh, not give them credit for that one. But yeah, I mean, like, the, is, one difference, though, because I've seen people making comparisons to this from this Carolina team to, you know, like eight and 20 or even, you know, mm-hmm. 2010. Um, one comparison, like the ACC, though, in, in 2002, to be fair to that team, like I think there was probably more talent. And in fact, I know that there was more talent on that 2002 team with Capel, who was a really, really he's going to be one of the more underrated players, honestly, in Carolina basketball history. Um, he played he was he's a good player. Chris Lang was a pretty good player. Um, mm-hmm. They had that team had Melvin Scott, Jackie Manuel, like Jawad Williams. Like that team had talent on it, <laughs> just didn't have a point guard, which is kind of a problem. But the ACC was so good that year. Remember that was like Duke Maryland going at it. Oh yeah, like, those were the some of the greatest years. Yes, so like that team was probably not eight and twenty bad like in today's college basketball, but. You know, and because the ACC is down this year. And so you looked at Carolina's schedule without Cole Anthony and you're like, OK, well, you know, the, it starts out relatively OK. They, they should be all right. And with the way they played against UCLA and managing to get that win against Yale, you I, at least I was kind of thinking, you know, I think they'll be OK. And uh, lo and behold, here we are. They've lost two home games to Georgia Tech and Pittsburgh and are now looking like you said, I, they do have most of the pressure on them, even though, you know. Clemson's probably going to feel some because it's hard not to like it's on Carolina at this point. Right. It's got to be. Yeah, I think all the pressure is on Carolina. And, you know, I've heard at least that Roy Williams in all the things he's accomplished at UNC. uh, It's weird to think that one of the things that he really values is the fact that he's never lost to Clemson and North Carolina's never lost to Clemson at home. And so I think, you know, that's going to be a major point of emphasis for this team, at least in practice last couple of days and in the locker room. Uh, you know, don't be the team. If you're going to lose to Pitt at home, if you're going to lose to Georgia Tech, if you're not going to make the tournament, that's fine. That's all happened before, but don't be that team. And for me, I was really, uh, I didn't like that North Carolina lost to Pittsburgh on Wednesday. I'm sure some people are thinking, oh, that just continues to show that they're not a good team and they're very, they can lose to Clemson. But I feel like it would have helped Clemson if UNC had beat Pittsburgh on Wednesday because yeah, you get a little bit of a false sense of confidence. Okay. We're riding the ship. Things are all right. But now I think Roy is just going to be, you know, emphasizing to the utmost degree. Hey guys, I don't care about all the bad things we're going to do this year, but you can't be the team. This is one of the craziest streaks in all of college sports. It really it's is. not just it's not just basketball. You brought up Virginia, Virginia Tech football. That streak was what fifteen years. Yeah, fifteen How many years was that. Yeah, fifteen. Okay, this is fifty nine games. This is basically for the entire existence of the ACC. It's just crazy, um, and so you don't want to be the team. And I think that's going to be a huge point of emphasis and we might see a more desperate North Carolina than we've seen even in the, in the other losses. I I would imagine that's what we're going to see from the Tar Heels. 
So how is this Clemson team, how well do you think it's positioned to pull this off? I mean, obviously the last time we saw them against NC State, they looked great. Um, and to be fair, like they were apparently, and to be f- credit to Brad Brownell, like uh, NC State was not stopping the slip screen and you heard NC State's defensive coaches desperately screaming split screen or slip screen, slip screen. <laughs> and, and NC State's defenders were just like, excuse me, what? Um, and just over and over, it. right, apparently over and over and over again. Um, they just kept running it and it kept working and um, they were able to knock down some shots, but they've had, you know, I almost wish for their sake, for Clemson's sake, they could have had another game to sort of keep that, you know, positive momentum going. And obviously they've had a rough year uh, nothing horrible on their docket, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it, Yale is a really good team. Um, Carolina saw that firsthand at home too, where they squeaked that out at the end and nearly killed Roy with the way they ended that game. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of the way they were against Pittsburgh as well. Like you mentioned that. It was also a thing where they were pretty confident in that game and playing really well, had a double-digit lead, and they just collapsed down the stretch, just silly turnovers and just... It, it doesn't seem to take much to, to hit their confidence. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know how Clemson is in that same way like have they had nice moments within games are they you know it, they were close with Florida State for a while and sort of fell apart I remember that and losing to this South Carolina team by double digits at home is not the best look um, <laughs> but that's, no, that's not at all that's the worst thing on their resume and I mean what's their biggest issue do you think Clemson well I think their biggest issue is a lack of continuity and there's just so many newcomers on this team and we talked about last year's team they lost five seniors that played so much. And a lot of these guys were fifth-year seniors. I'm pretty sure Shelton Mitchell was 24 years old throughout the most of last year's season. Okay, these guys had been in college for a very long time. And you lose um, such great guard play with Marquise Reed and Shelton Mitchell. Marquise Reed was an all-ACC performer. He was one of the best peer scorers in the league. So when the play broke down, you were, or broke down, you were able to get the ball to him. So Clemson's best player is Amir Sims, who is a super talented guy, but He's a little passive at times Mm -hmm. and Clemson's playing him in that stretch four and sometimes even at the five because they're playing so many guards and just my, yeah, my personal preference um, when it comes to college basketball is I am such a, a guard heavy person. I want my team to have good guards. I think teams that go far in the NCAA tournament have great guard play. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of North Carolina's problem this year. (laughs) That's part of the ACC's problem as a whole is they lost so many good guards. And you look at the top three scorers in the league, they're all forwards or inside guys. And I think that can be a problem in college basketball specifically. So when it comes to Clemson, all these guards are so young. Alamir Dawes is a true freshman who's had to play the point since game one. So just imagine being a true freshman and your first game is against Virginia Tech. So your first game <laughs> is an ACC game and you're asked to play the point as a true freshman. That's just a lot to put on that guy. Um, and Clemson's had injury issues as well. Chase Hunter has been out. Clyde Trapp, who was going to be their starting point guard, who's a junior, is finally back, but he's recovering from an ACL. Uh, Jonathan Bear has been hurt. Alex Hemingway has been hurt. So they've had injury issues too, but to me, uh, the biggest issue with them is just a lack of consistent guard play. And whether that's injuries or youth, it's just hard to know who you're going to rely on to score from the guard position. Tevin Mack has been solid. He's a fifth-year uh, grad transfer, played at Texas and Alabama. So he's been good at times, but it's just the lack of consistency at the guard spot. That's my biggest issue for Clemson. Do you think if Carolina, and th- this has been a big if for them, um, obviously, because like they, with the lack of good guard play, you know, you can have really good big guys, but if you can't get those big guys the ball, 
consistently. Exactly. It doesn't matter. Um, or if those big guys, you know, in the case of, for instance, Ar- Armando Baycott, who's had trouble, you know, consistently, you know, getting calling for the ball in the right situations as um, Dallin Cuff so beautifully illustrated. Um, I talked about that in the last podcast where he's, you know, not calling for the ball when he has Jose Alvarado on him. And then when he finally gets the ball, he's, he's you know, th- dribbling too much and not making the right move. And, you know, he's in his own head, as are a lot of North Carolina's players. But Garrison Brooks has been mm-hmm. really, really good. And if they, you know, that seems like they do have a size advantage there on Clemson that they could potentially exploit. And that's probably the way they have to go if they want to win this game, right? They definitely do. And that's kind of been Clemson's biggest issue. They lose Elijah Thomas from last year, another big issue, <laughs> trying to narrow him down. But Eli was a 6'10", kind of traditional five player at the college level. He was uh, all defensive team player. He was great at blocking shots. So you lose him. And Trey Jemison is a sophomore for Clemson. He has some serious size, but he's he's had injury issues. He's struggled to stay on the floor. He's only playing, um, you know, less than 10 minutes a game. So they've had to play Amir at the five. And Amir is about, what, 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, he's a great athlete. He's listed at 6'8", but... That seems okay. To say, <laughs> maybe fudging. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, he's a great athlete, sure, but should he be playing that five spot? Not really. And he'll probably and so, get in foul trouble if he has to play the five too much oh, yeah. in this game. Yeah, for sure. And just, so defensively, it's you know you put so much pressure on your guards defensively to stay in front of guys and level them off and not let them get in the paint because you don't have a rim protector like you did last year. And generally, Brownells teams have had those rim protect rim protectors whether it's Eli Thomas, um, Landry Noko, who was a big oh, guy yeah. inside, even back to the the Booker brothers, you know, they've had rim protectors and this team just doesn't have that. So there's been so much pressure defensively on the guards and, and that hasn't really worked. So that's always been the issue too when Clemson plays Carolina is Carolina generally has some serious size inside. And yeah, I think Garrison Brooks, as long as they can get him the ball and Andrew Baycott, or, um, Baycott excuse me, if he can get out of his own head, like you're saying, those guys should be able to be effective. But when you don't have the guard play, it's tough to get those guys the ball in um, in good positions. And that's always my issue. If a team doesn't have good guard play, I, I just struggle to trust them, especially in college basketball. It's wild to me that this is the game of the weekend. And, and so we'll, we won't spend too much more time on it. But because you did play college basketball, um, she Kelly played at Clemson, by the way, and was very good. Um, I, I wanted to get your sense, too, of, you know, we've been talking on this podcast plenty about North Carolina's psychological issues, and I think that they're pretty apparent when you watch them, even for just a few minutes, just how little confidence some of the players have right now and, and how much in their own heads that they are, you know, especially Carolina's grad transfers like Christian Keeling, who's used to being a scoring machine and just looks kind of lost right now. And, and just a lot of the guys, not just him, Justin Pierce, you know, Leaky Black, everybody. And... Y- can you can you sort of enlighten us a little bit on on how how much that can sort of play into what we're seeing? Like people are still going down the list and they're like, well, Carolina still has four star this and five, you know, a five star guy and they still have this guy. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, when you when you get down to it, you're playing basketball in North Carolina and, and you're and you're struggling like this on that kind of stage. How can that kind of impact you um, in terms of like where your head is at? And, and have you seen that kind of play out when you were in college as well? It can impact you tremendously. I, I don't think people understand how mental basketball can be, um, especially as a, as a shooter. I was a shooter. And so mentally, I remember my freshman year, got off to a great start. You know, we're playing non-conference play. So it was a little, the competition level was lower. But when you get into ACC play and you get down the stretch and you're playing so many games and shots aren't going in uh, and you're a freshman and you're not used to playing this kind of season with the length, 
it can be really tough. Or if you're some of these guys for um, UNC, like a Christian Keeling, you're used to playing Charleston Southern. I actually called the Clemson Charleston Southern game last year, the men's game. And he was great, but you know, he was so used to playing on a team where he's the guy yeah. he's getting every shot and the competition level is just lower. And so he's really struggled to adjust. I, like you said, I played at Clemson. I cannot imagine playing at UNC and having these struggles, the pressure is just enormous, you know, and, and people expect so much of you. You've got young Lauren Brownlow's heckling you on the side, <laughs> on the uh, court side. Oh, and it's, it's got to be tough. You know, it's got to be a, a mental strain. I'm sure some of these guys, they don't want to go on social media. They don't want to see what people are saying about them. I would recommend don't read what people are saying yeah. about you because it's got to be tough. So the mental side, I, I think as fans, we just say, oh, UNC is terrible. And we kind of laugh about it. And yeah, you know, UNC's had so much success that some fans are happy to see them not having success this year. But I would encourage us not to forget that these guys are 18, 19, 20 year olds. And, you know, if you have a bad season, it can be a miserable experience and it can t- take basketball, something that you love and you love playing and it can make it not fun. And I'm sure that's what these guys are feeling right now. So I feel for them to a certain extent, but I also feel for Clemson, who has been through so many years of losing in Chapel Hill. And, you know, it just feels like this could be the year. But, yeah, it feels like this is a a very mental, um, kind of a mentally weak team at UNC, especially without Cole Anthony. And uh, I also think it's interesting, too, with North Carolina. I was thinking about this today. You know, UNC, Duke has completely embraced the one and done. UNC did not do that for a very long time. And then last year, really with Kobe White and Nasir Little, they kind of dipped their toes into it and it came back to bite them yeah. because they relied so much on those guys last year. If Nasir Little had just stayed, which some people talked about he might, this could have felt like a different team, but it feels like the one and done has definitely come back to bite Roy Williams and he, his roster wasn't necessarily built for it. But when you have these injuries, you, look, if Duke, imagine last year, Duke, when Zion was hurt, they struggled. If RJ Barrett had gotten hurt, they would have struggled this year. Duke has really benefited because Tyus Jones came. There's not not, not Tyus. I do this me. all Trey the time. Jones Don't feel bad. <laughs> Trey Jones came back. And so that's been a huge benefit for them. If they didn't have Trey Jones right now, yeah, be a mess. I, I don't think they would be the same. So it, it really, it, when you can just get that one guy yeah. to come back for a sophomore year, I think it really helps. Yeah. It's a double-edged sword for them because, you know, they, they, it's helped them in recruiting, obviously, and they got a good class coming in next year. But this is this yeah. is the culmination too of some of that NCAA stuff for them. It, in a way, it's a little bit like because people were always like they didn't really get punished with sanctions, and it's like, yeah, you're right. But also, like this is this is the culmination of that because some of these guys were signed during that you know period of uncertainty for them, where you know not so the top players weren't weren't necessarily willing to go there when they didn't know what was going to happen. Um, with mm-hmm. their program. And so, you know, some of the guys that are left on this roster are wonderful complementary pieces, right? And now they're being asked to do a little bit more. And, and it's just, you know, they got they got a great grad transfer in Cam Johnson, obviously, and great two years out of him. But, you know, these others haven't worked quite as well. So, yeah, that's um, a good point. Um, but yeah, so we, we've done enough with that. But And I'll breeze through most <laughs> of the rest of these so we can get your thoughts on the football side of things as well but uh 
Louisville Notre Dame. I saw Notre Dame play a beautiful half of basketball, and it was like I was I was marveling at the Notre Dame NC State game at like how wonderful it was to see the basketball go into the basketball hoop for a <laughs> because of all the games I've covered where that has not happened for both teams. Like it was just a fun half of basketball, and uh, you know Notre Dame it didn't work out for them down the stretch. Mike Bray sat down at the podium after the game and said, "I need a drink." Um, but he was also in wonderful Mike Bray fashion was very much like, you know what? We got a bunch more of these. It's all good. It's fine. We got, he's like, what? We got like 16 more of these. And then he's like, good Lord. Like as if like it's too many ACC games, but, um, you know, they have a nice opportunity with Louisville, uh, you know, licking its wounds a little bit, feeling a little down on itself. Um, so that'll be, that, that's an interesting one to circle for me. I Notre Dame probably doesn't have the firepower though to keep up with Louisville, um, even at home, I don't think, but it's been a weird year. Yeah. And with Notre Dame too, uh, Louisville, going back to guard play, I feel like Louisville just has so many um, forwards, right? And, and so yes. many big guys and so many guys with such size. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, these guys, you know, they, they should be killing people. But their guard play has, has really been lackluster. And I think that's been one of their issues. And then with Notre Dame, Rex Fluger, you just feel for that oh, guy so much. I hate it. ACL yeah. and his mom with, with the cancer. And then he's come back. He's had that. He has a bone bruise now, but he's just struggled to shoot the ball. And he's a great leader for them, uh, but it's just it's hard to see him not having a great year. And there's still time to turn it around, but he's day to day right now, from what I understand. So if they don't have Rex Fluger, that's probably going to be an issue for Notre Dame. Yeah, he didn't play at NC State, and at one point, one of the state fans behind me yelled out, "Come on, they only have five guys!" And I was like, "Well, six, but you know, I'll allow it because <laughs> they have no depth." Yeah, <laughs> that's an issue for Notre Dame too. Yeah, for sure. Um, that gets us to, this is also an intriguing game for sure, NC State at Virginia Tech. I was starting to fall for NC State a little bit before they lost at Clemson because um, I really liked some of the toughness they'd shown um, winning at Wake, which is a place that's given them a lot of trouble um, and controlling most of that game. And then um, beating a tough, a tough App State team at home and and kind of gritting and gutting that out. And that win against Notre Dame sort of reminded me why um, I liked NC State because this team is sort of showing some of that toughness and grit that we're not used to seeing from NC State. Now, the Clemson loss was bad. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, they're without their leading scorer and rebounder. And I don't know if they're going to be without him again at Virginia Tech. That remains to be seen. C.J. Bryce got a concussion and shoot around because that's the most NC State injury of all time. Um, (laughs) How is that even possible? How does that even happen? Oh, man. Yeah, I didn't know that either. In fact, like the rumor going around was that he got it in warmups, which I was like, come on. And then I I asked an NC State spokesman and they were like, that's not true. And then it came out that it was in shoot around. And I was like, I feel like you got me on a technicality y'all like that uh, yeah that's virtually the same thing it was like the morning the morning shoot around walkthrough I guess whatever um that they do and he just took an an elbow in a freak play I think from DJ Funderburk and and yeah um he's been out ever since um they could use him one thing I am so against you know if I was running for office I would run on this platform morning shoot arounds are the worst thing ever really I hated morning shoot around so we played a lot of noon games and so our shoot around, if you're on the road, you go first. So our shoot around would be at like 7 a.m. Oh my God. And it's the worst. Yes. And sometimes the coaches would just say, no, we're not doing it. Or do it like and so some hotel, coaches would they do it that too? Like, yeah. Yeah. Through. But you just yeah. get up so early. And yeah, you want to get shots up in the gym. But sometimes our better games would be when we didn't shoot around. And especially if some of your guys are getting concussions during these shoot rounds. <laughs> Maybe it's because you're shooting around at 7 a.m. and you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> that's probably true. Although, to be fair, like, how? How how does that even happen? <laughs> how? Um, that's a, it's certainly a dangerous game for them. That's a tough place to play. Um, and 
uh, I'll be interested to see how they how they look in that game. Virginia Tech obviously has shown potential to beat pretty decent teams, and I'll be I'll, mm-hmm. I'll definitely I'm not going to ding NC State too much if they can't win that game, but I'll be I'll be impressed by them again and and move them closer to my trust tree um, if if they can manage to get that one. Uh, but you can't. I mean, let's be real. You can't really trust anybody in this league. Um, no, Syracuse at Virginia. Um, oh, Virginia. Oh God, I thought you were different. Well, I also am, am saying, oh, Syracuse. You know, true. Uh, I kind of come to expect this from Syracuse, but they just love chucking. They shoot, you know, put up thirty threes and make as however many. And it really for Syracuse, it comes down to okay, if they're going to make some threes, they they might win, and if not, they're probably not going to win. That Syracuse team is depressing. And then Virginia, like you said, you thought the system would be enough, right? In that Tony Bennett would have enough, but they are really struggling without those three pros that they lost last year, and they just can't score and. Braxton Key with the club on his arm. Oh, it's not really working either. Yeah, he had a nice few games, and then it looks like he might have re-injured it, which is brutal for them because they really yeah. need him. Um, they really do. And Kihei Clark, I think, has had a really nice year and shown a lot of progress. But again, you know, you're going to struggle some if the guys you're passing to, you know, are no longer Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome and, and people like that. Like it's just, you know, and and DeAndre Hunter. I don't know why I always end up forgetting him. Like I shouldn't. He was <laughs> so important to them. But yeah, like yeah, like and. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a little bit of a struggle, um, and it'll be interesting to see if some of these guys can develop as the year goes on. Um, but yeah, this is this is a game Virginia should win. Obviously, here's a wild stat for you: Syracuse's opponents are getting assists on seventy four point four percent of their field goals. Mm-mm. That's wild. That, that's, the, that's the nature of of a zone. Yeah. You know, if you're gonna play the zone, you have to be aggressive. You have to get out and still pressure the ball. And still uh, get in passing lanes and, and disrupt. And elite Syracuse the, the defenses do that. Yeah. Elite, yes. And, yes. They used to. Yes. But it and it kind of to me it's reflective of Bayheim in general that I feel like he's just I, he doesn't look like he wants to be there anymore. He looks like he's kind of given up. So yep. what makes you know what's going to make Syracuse play hard defensively if Bayheim Bayheim needs to throw a jacket. You know, throw a jacket, do something, show me you still care, and we just haven't seen that. Yeah, I I hope it doesn't end ugly for him in Syracuse because certainly he's earned the right to go out on his own accord. But it's for sure, and this is what they do. It seems like every year they just look, they look like they're they're done, and then they go on some run. But I don't know that I see that with this roster. But we'll see. Um, <laughs> it's just I I never count them out because they're you know never they always find a way. But uh, Georgia Tech at Boston College, ew 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 ew. No thank. Well, you. a game that we thought would mean nothing you know, before the season, but BC right now tied for third in the league. If you're just looking at records, I know Georgia tech can't, uh, can't make the postseason, but BC coming off the win over Virginia, Georgia tech, they played Duke close. I kind of like this game, you know, it's, it's more fun than we could have ever imagined a couple months ago. It's yeah, it's crazy. I I watched this Boston college team in person in Durham and, uh, that they were just without Popovich. Then they did have Derek Thornton and they just looked a mess offensively and not because (laughs) like they were doing anything fundamentally wrong, except for the fact that like, they just, they didn't shoot well and they were very careless with the basketball. Um, I guess they managed to make enough shots against Virginia. Uh, yeah. Virginia, I'm still angry at you for that because like literally I was I was I was uh commenting on press row that I was like, this is one of the worst ACC offenses I think I've ever seen. Like, and that's saying a lot mm-hmm. for Boston College. And they were without both Thornton and Popovich against Virginia and still somehow found a way. Somehow. Oh my god. Oh my god. Virginia, this is the year where Virginia completely fits all the stereotypes we always say about Virginia. 
they are a, they, they fit them, you know, they, they definitely play into, they can't score. They're boring. All these things that, that is Virginia. The system is ugly to watch when you do not have good offensive skill players, right? Yeah. When you don't have all those pros. Yes. (laughs) But I think when it, when they do have them, I very much have enjoyed it because I, I do respect the fact that they at least seem to have a philosophy. Whereas like you mentioned Syracuse at times, it feels like Syracuse basketball, especially over the past five, six years has been like, let's run the shot clock down and then take a contested jumper. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't, there's no point to that to me. Like there's no philosophy. There's no scheme. It's just like, let's delay this as long as possible and then try to do something. Even CJ fair, as good as he was back in the day, it would be like, let's run the shot clock down and then get CJ fair to make some ridiculous, like long two pointer. And just, I don't, that's not running offense to me. Whereas at least I know what Virginia's ideal is and what they're trying to do. And once like that was, you know, Malcolm Brogdon so wonderfully like broke it down for me. I remember one postseason where I'm covering them and he's like, just telling me exactly how it feeds into itself. It feeds into the defense and just like the blocker mover and you wear them down with all the screens and you take so long on offense, you make them defend and then you go back on the other end and you make them work for the best possible look they can get. And they often have to use the whole shot clock too. And possessions just take on so much more urgency and they get tired and they get frustrated and you can, Virginia players can sense that, you know, when that happens to the, and that to me made it way more fun to watch because you know, you understand what they're trying to do. And I think Tony in the last couple of years, especially has done a good job of like getting, letting his playmakers really work a little bit and and not constraining them so much within, you know, the shot clock and what he wants them to do and everything else and letting them sort of use their instincts more. And I think that's why they were so good the last couple of years, but they just don't have those types of guys that can make those kinds of plays on this year's roster. So completely agree. Last year's UVA team. I loved watching, watching Kyle guy come off stagger screen after stagger screen and just hit these ridiculous shots. And Deandre Hunter, uh, you know, it, they were really fun to watch. So I've, I, if they have players, if they have pros, you know, you bring up Mal- Malcolm Brogdon, when you can get these guys that are really talented to buy into the system, it's beautiful to watch. But when you have guys that aren't necessarily pros, um, like this Virginia team, yeah. then it can be a little bit of a struggle. Yes, for sure. No, I, I agree completely. Um, wake at Duke's the nightcap. I was actually thinking of like doing the double and then I was like, you know, I need some self-care. I'm not going to do that. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> I make those calls. Sometimes. In the triangle, we, we often get that opportunity, which is super cool. But like, you know, Carolina Clemson is at uh, 4.30 and then, you know, it's a pretty as you as it's been well documented it's a very short drive over to durham um <laughs> although what i had no idea right it's not that short though especially with traffic and like getting in the parking garage and all that but um wake at duke <laughs> at eight um i'm sure a lot of people will be doing that double i will not because i boston college duke on new year's eve was more than enough um of a blow oh, of a man. blowout for me to watch i'll just watch from my couch thank you very much well and lauren you know that unc uh clemson game is going to be quite the emotional you know roller coaster so you're going to need some self-care after that. yeah and i don't write uh, um for uh, i write for uh, wrl sports wrl sports fan.com by the way if you want to check out anything i write i don't write a lot after games anymore but i think i will after this one regardless of the outcome because i think there's a lot um, there's a story to tell there, um, regardless of what happens, because um, this is kind for of sure. a make or break for Carolina and a, a big moment either way. So, uh, yeah, Wake Duke, there's really not much to say about that. Wake, I know they won their first ACC road game in a while and at Pitt um, <laughs> and good for them. And that's fine. But 
no, that's just, <laughs> that's it. I mean, there's really not much else to say. I, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. They had a nice showing against FSU, but that's at home. They play teams close all the time at home because um, that's a sneaky last place year's to play. Duke game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's a good point. The last year's Duke game was was closer than, than I'm sure Duke would have liked. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, Wait, did they? They didn't beat Duke last year, did they? I'm not. Or, or, no, okay. but it was crazy close, crazy game. Yes, I do remember that. You're right. Um, they, yeah, they actually, yeah, they only beat them by one at home. Oh, well, there mm-hmm. you go. So, yeah, watch them do something like that again just to punish me for not going to that game. <laughs> uh, that was like me and Stephen F. Austin, by the way, as well. I was like, oh, they're 256 in Ken Palm. I'm going to skip it. Um, they what were you supposed to think there right <laughs> that, that was one of the craziest things we've ever seen by the way shout out to Stephen f austin up to 127 in ken palm so that's, qu- that's quite the leap for them um the lumberjacks i believe yes yes um so yeah um i'm not going to that but there's really nothing to say about that game of any substance um so that'll get us uh there is a sunday game as well i think oh it's Pitt miami which again not much to say. Big win for Jeff Capel, mm-hmm. though. Or Jeff, yeah, Jeff and Jason, because they're both on staff together, but Jeff's the head coach. Shout <laughs> out. I, I still mix them up sometimes, which I should not. Um, shout out to Jeff for that and his staff, because that's a big it's a big moment for them. I know North Carolina's down, and we've only talked about North Carolina and the North Carolina side of this, but like that's a big win for that program. And they've obviously looked much improved this year, and th- that's real significant for them. So they deserve some a little bit of love there as well, for sure. Oh, yeah. And, you know, think about when Jeff Cable took that job and people were saying, oh, I don't know if you want to do that. You know, is it broken beyond repair? And you have to give him so much credit for what he's done. Trey McGowan's is a heck of a player. He's a great lead guard to have. This is a team also that lost to Nichols after beating Florida State. And then somehow they beat North Carolina and and they still lost to Wake, too. So they're so up and down. Um, They did get blown out by Louisville, but they're definitely on the up and up and and he's done a great job there. So yeah, that'll get us into the national title game Monday night. It feels like it's been forever. It's been, it feels like it's been way longer since both of these teams last played. Oh yeah. Um, LSU Clemson. It's a weird position. I feel like for Clemson to be in, because I think in the last couple years, especially um, uh, they've been in a position of being, you know, they played Alabama. Like, nobody is rooting for Alabama outside of like the SEC. The Clemson has been the feel good part of this equation. And so an interesting like non-game related portion of this for me is how Clemson LSU has just become the darling and, you know, rightfully so that's a very likable group of guys Ed Orgeron, super fun. And, you know, you've got Joe Burrow and a great story. He is Clyde Edwards, Hilaire. like it's, it's a fun group and, and a lot of likable pieces. That's not to say Clemson isn't, you know, but it's an interesting spot. I feel like for Clemson to be where they're no longer going to be like the sentimental favorite, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. But I guess in a way they've kind of been in that spot all year. Right. Oh, I, I love this point. This is one of my favorite talking points about this game. And I have talked about it a lot on our show down here in the uh, Clemson area. But I, I think Clemson is not the feel-good story here, which to your point, they have been. They've always been kind of the lovable upstart who's trying to take on Big Bad Bama. And of course, they've they've evolved to be more than that. But LSU is the team of destiny, right? They're kind of the Cinderella, oddly enough. I don't know how much LSU can be the Cinderella. And I think most casual football fans out there and casual sports fans who might tune into this game on Monday are thinking, oh, I really like Joe Burrow. I like Ed Orgeron. This is a cool story. LSU has been waiting around for a team like this for a while. I'm rooting for LSU. And 
I love that for Clemson. I love being the villain. You know, oh, really? Clemson rarely ever gets to be the villain. And I think also the country wanted to see LSU Ohio State because two bigger names, sure. And then you've got the Joe Burrow story and all these different types of things. And Clemson ruined that as well. So the idea that Clemson gets to be the villain is my, one of my favorite things about this whole game because Clemson is rarely ever in that position. And uh, it's just one of my favorite storylines for sure. Yeah, it's interesting too, because like, actually, this is the game for me that the outcome, this was the only possible like game where the outcome would not have annoyed me, I guess. Like now, Mm -hmm. now there's, and this Ohio State team was likable in its own way too, but their fan base is just, well, we've all been exposed to it now. Um, Correct. The New Orleans Saints fan base of college football. So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, but the team itself was fine. It's just it would have annoyed me because they're fa- of their fans, um, especially their fans invading my mentions uh, about my top 25 voting. Um, they always they always seem to do that. They love invading mentions. It's one of their favorite things, especially to do. of women. Weird. Um, huh. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, But um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm obviously going to I won't be it's the first national title game in a while where I I don't think the outcome either way will annoy me, um, which is which is kind of fun. Um, I feel that way about the NFL playoffs now, too, almost um, except Seattle. So that's like a fun spot to be in, I think, as (laughs) as a casual um, as well. I'm not a casual college football fan, but like as a casual fan, I think it's a nice spot to be in where, you know, whoever wins, it's not going to annoy you. And, you know, Clemson. I, I just, I, I wonder, they've at least had two weeks off. I think that's the best thing that could have happened to them after that game against Ohio State because it was just such a physical, I can't, I don't know the last yeah, time Clemson has played a game that that's, that's that physical. Nothing comes to mind, honestly. You know, you probably would have to go back to some of the Alabama games, but you wouldn't go back to last year's Alabama game. So maybe go back to 2017 or possibly 2016, the win for Clemson and Tampa was a pretty physical game, but yeah, that Ohio state game, I mean, guys were just getting stingers all over the place and lying on the ground and struggling to get up. And then you had JK Dobbins with the ankle injury T Higgins got hurt on that free play, which was so frustrating to watch. Um, And then Trevor taking those hits and getting back up and, and Clemson, I think Clemson fans in general, that was like you said, that was so, I think it was really good for Clemson to have a game like that where they got punched in the mouth. You know, yeah. North Carolina kind of did it, but Clemson also felt like they were kind of punching themselves in that yeah, game yeah, yeah. because there were so many self-inflicted issues. But Ohio State came out, punched Clemson in the mouth. You're down 16 nothing, and you have to find a way to get up and fight back. And Clemson has not had to do that in a pretty long time because even last year's playoff, they blew out both teams. So that was really good to see for the, for the Tigers. And look, I, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. LSU looks great. And LSU is a team that, you know, even when you compare them to Bama last year, I feel like they're more complete. They're they're even scarier than Bama last year. Yeah, and more complete because even if, I know Bama liked to bring up the Tua injury as kind of an excuse last year, but the reality was he had been injured. That you can't ignore that. And Joe Burrow is healthy, mm-hmm. and Edwards Alaire, he's maybe the one injury issue, but it seems like he's going to be fine. And then they're getting back those guys on defense that were you know Divinity who has gone for personal issues or whatever that was. And their defense so has been pretty, getting better as the years gone on. Yes, and they've been getting healthy, which was kind of their issue too. Uh, so this LSU team to me is is a way more formidable opponent than Bama last year, which is kind of crazy because people were talking about that Bama team being the best team ever. But this is a huge test for Clemson and maybe their most difficult test 
in the entirety of their runs in the playoffs, arguably. How do they pull this off? Do you think like what I mean, because when you look at LSU, like you were saying, they're, they're so scary offensively. They're so difficult to slow down. And Brent Venables has done an amazing job. I think his best coaching job, honestly, since he's been at Clemson, because this they had to replace so much um, defensively that they lost and they just haven't missed a beat, but they don't have the same kind of front they had a year ago. And, mm-hmm. you know, it'll be really interesting to me to see how he schemes this, because if you pressure Burrow, he's going to burn you um, if you blitz him too much, because he'll just dump the ball off to one of those playmakers. And um, it, it, I, it'll be super, super interesting to me to see how Brent Venables decides to sort of scheme LSU, because you you got to kind of pick your poison, right? The key to this game is Brent Venables versus really Joe Burrow to a certain extent, which is kind of a weird matchup to talk about. But the key for Clemson is defensively. I think Clemson will still score. I think they'll find a way to score. That's not really going to be an issue, I don't think. Now, they, I think they do have to start quicker. If they go out there and play a first quarter like they did against Ohio State, this thing might be over because Ohio or LSU is not going to settle for field goals. But defensively with Clemson, uh, like you said, the front is not really the strength. But I think that's kind of good when you're playing a team like LSU because LSU's run game does not necessarily concern you. And I think Clemson can stop the run with three, specifically Tyler Davis in the middle. Now, the key is going to be the back seven. And really, it's going to be kind of the back eight, which is how Clemson's been playing this year, playing a 3-3-5 to a certain extent. And Dabo Sweeney loves this back seven. He said it's one of the best he's ever had. Isaiah Simmons is obviously the most important piece with how they're going to use him. I think that's going to be fascinating. They're going to use him as a spy to a certain extent. They're going to blitz him at times. They're going to drop him back. He's going to have to cover whoever's in the slot. He's going to be so important. And then it's going to be some of those secondary guys uh, like a Nolan Turner and a Denzel Johnson, these safeties who don't play as much, but are going to have to play a lot. And possibly you're going to see Nolan Turner start, I would imagine. Yeah. In that the back five, if you will, those guys have to have to just play the game of their life. And uh, Darion Kendrick and AJ Terrell have to be great on the corners when they're in one on one situations. To me, it all comes down to the back seven and I'll really call it the back eight for Clemson. They they have to be disciplined. They can't get beat one on one. And Brent Venables in general has to confuse Burrow because when he brings pressure, it's going to be from the linebackers. You know, it's not really I don't think you're going to get a lot of pressure from the front three. Uh, It would be nice to see Xavier Thomas show up in some capacity, but it's how he disguises those blitzes and how he confuses Joe Burrow. That's going to be the biggest thing. And kind of the end all be all for me, if Clemson loses the turnover battle, they're not winning the game. I I think they have to win it somewhat significantly. You know, I I see Clemson winning if they can somehow force two turnovers and then not turn the ball over then I would feel pretty comfortable about Clemson winning. But the turnover battle is going to be so important in this game. Yeah, and on, on a podcast, they played nobody. I was listening to that and they were sort of uh, looking. <laughs> it was either that or a shutdown full. I don't remember which. They were sort of breaking down this game. And I think one one interesting thing to watch as well is like tempo. And I think if you get into a, a yes. fast-paced shootout, you're, Clemson's done. I mean, they can score, but like it's hard to keep up with that LSU offense. So I think that's going to be something to watch as well is, is sort of taking their time, being methodical, getting down the field. Field, capitalizing scoring points and one interesting thing to me as well and I think this showed up a little bit um with Dabo um versus you know Ryan Day who I think is a really really good offensive mind and and is still sort of 
finding his way as a college coach in terms of decision making. And that's a, that's a process. That's yeah. a process, right? I mean, to make those make those kinds of decisions in big moments. And you know, Dabo didn't always make decisions. I agreed with either in that game. <laughs> uh, but Ryan Day, oh, sure. Ryan Day made some decisions that I thought were a little bit reflective of of his you know limited experience on the job. Um, and he'll learn from that, I'm sure. But uh, Dabo does, um, you know, and. Coach O is a little bit more seasoned in that way, but but Dabo certainly, I think, has a little bit of an edge in that capacity as well, whereas we're used to seeing him go up against Nick Saban, who's obviously like a master at it. So that'll be an interesting thing to watch as well, is when you have to make those kinds of big decisions in, in tight moments, of which neither team has had a ton this year. But Dabo has a little bit more experience in that department and a little bit better feel maybe than than Coach O, who I think has just grown so much and, and has been great all year, but, you know. If that's just that's worth keeping an eye on for me as well. Um, as oh yeah, agreed, agreed on that. And you know, you bring up tempo with Clemson. Uh, they can play fast, we know that. But one thing when tempo is, or when uh, Clemson has played its best this year, and you saw it a few times against Ohio State, it's when they have those long drives uh, where they're just being efficient. They're running it a little bit. They're using the intermediate passing game. Trevor's using his legs. And I think a few of those long drives could go a long way for Clemson to keep Joe Burrow off the field. If you keep the offense off the field, maybe Burrow feels the need to press a little bit, and then you create some turnovers, and also you just you wear down wear down that defense. So if they get into a shootout, like you said, and just a true up-and-down game, I don't think that benefits Clemson. If Clemson can get the ball first and go on, you know, maybe a four- or five-minute drive and score, that that's almost the best start. Yeah. I can envision for the Tigers. Yeah. The orange Tigers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's for, the Tigers are going to win on Monday just to make that joke. For That's right. Oh, I haven't heard time. that joke yes. yet. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. It's, it's, I also, um, before I wrap up with you, I, I just think it's worth pointing out. Um, we have, we've established that Trevor Lawrence's hair care routine is Pantene. Is that what he said? <laughs> Yes, that's what I've heard. Okay. Um, that it's Pantene. Yes. Does he use? I, I remember hearing at one point because I've had Grace Rayner and others on this case for me that he didn't use uh-huh. didn't use conditioner, which infuriated me. But I think he might. Oh my gosh! Do you know what? Infuri- so yeah, I think so many women are on the same page with this. Is his hair? It, especially so after a game, it could look a little unkept, right? Because he takes a shower or but whatever. Not really. But <laughs> not really. His hair is beautiful. It has you natural know, highlights. Have, Yes. Yes. And it feels like it's so, um, it's not dry. It doesn't have really any, it just looks great. And it looks like he, he says he puts very little effort into it. Um, Jerk. I'm sure it's not really layered, but it almost looks naturally layered. Yes. Weirdly enough. Yes. It's just, he has amazing hair and it all, I, no offense, but it feels like it's wasted on him a little bit. I, he's a dude. He doesn't really need it. It's completely. But he just has great hair. Compl- he has great it's hair. It's completely infuriating that like yeah, women, and I'm sure you're the same as me. We have to spend so much time and effort and oh, money man. into like making our hair look even remotely presentable. And he just like rolls out of bed and it's fine. Um, I feel like it was his coming out party in that way because the nation was like really getting to see his hair. And like the women, the, the, <laughs> the college football women fans I follow were like, what is this? This is wild. Right. Um, and then also um, his coming out party is kind of like a stone cold killer, which I had no idea he had in him. I really did not like, not like that. And cause we hadn't, we hadn't had to see right. it, you know, cause he, it, it really, um, he hasn't been forced to do that, but when he got hit and he's holding his arm and he has that stinger and then he gets up and basically says, yeah, we're not losing this. It's game. almost like it made that, him mad. That was big time. Yeah. I never, I was and he, he never shows any emotion. So you really aren't sure what he's feeling at any given moment. It's just wild. It was, it, the, that was super cool to see. So that'll make it interesting for sure. And it was cool to see that though. Cause I had no idea he had that side to him. Um, 
in the Carolina game, I remember thinking like he was just, yeah, that was still at this time when he was trying to force a lot, I feel like, and just trying to make these big, big plays happen instead of just taking what's there. Um, And, and now that's not the case at all. And he's just, he's ridiculous. He really is. Um, All right. Well, I'm going to get you out of here on that. So who do you, I hate doing that. I shouldn't do that. I'm going to ask you who you think is going to win. Cause like, like you said, like there's so many different ways this could play out. Um, Yeah. But you know, I don't think it's going to... You can ask. Well, who, I'll who do you, you think? Who do you think? Well, um, I think it could go either way. I, it's so hard. I, my official pick that I will actually give on the Tiger Free Game show on Monday, so we'll sneak peek here, is uh, Clemson 37, LSU 35. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that'll be... It'll be interesting to see what happens for sure. But if LSU wins, I will not be shocked. No, I won't either. This is a great team. It really, really is. Um, all right. She is Kelly Gramlich. Tell people where they can find you one more time. At Kelly Gramlich on Twitter, uh, ACC Network. I'm actually doing the Miami-Syracuse women's game on this Sunday. So tune in at uh, 12 noon. And uh, on Twitter on 105.5 The Roar, WCCPFM.com, all those places. Kelly, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for doing it. Uh, I'll see you all next week. 